0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 139 as we continue our series on prayer. And uh, if you haven't been here, we've been talking about prayer. We talked about three kinds of prayer, ask, seek, and knock. Uh, We talked about uh, praying for the prodigal, praying for the lost. Uh, We talked about praying for healing and realized that that's bigger than physical healing Uh, And then last week we talked about praying for the impossible, moving the mountains, and we talked about how the biggest mountains that God moves are the mountains in our hearts, things that we need to change. And so we are moving in this series of prayer, and we're changing the title just a little bit in the next four weeks. We're going to talk about dangerous prayers. If we we look at this, this idea that I'm stealing from the conference last night that we have these things in the past that we rejoice about and we celebrate. But if we're honest, when we look at the past, sometimes we glorify it a little bit more than it actually was. In other words, it, it, what doesn't uh, kill us makes us stronger. So we tend to look back on it and think about it better probably than it really was. When we look at the future, we, we kind of have this vague idea of what it's going to look like. We pray for that. And so what do we pray for right now? If we, um, our vision here is to love God, love people, make disciples, and under love God, we have said that three of the ways that we love God is through worship, an active response to God whereby we declare his worth, scripture reading, interacting with scripture, and prayer. And we've defined prayer here in this series as a personal communicative response to uh, knowing God. And so we want to, as a church, if we're going to grow in our love for God, we want to grow in these areas so that we can pour that out on other people. So we are trying to grow in the amount of time that we spend in prayer, the effectiveness that we have in prayer. And so I hope this morning that we can see how that knowledge of God helps us to pray um, more effectively. So we're in Psalm 139, and uh, this is a really well-known psalm. And I'm, what I want to do this morning is kind of three things. Uh, we're going to read the whole psalm, and I want to just give a few affirmations from the psalm. But what I want to do is focus in on verse 1 and on verses 23 and 24 as the prayers of this psalm. And so we're going to give some uh, affirmations from the psalm, some attention to the heart, and then actions that we can engage in. So. Let me read the whole psalm. Great psalm. Many of you are familiar with it. Some of you would say this is your favorite psalm, so bear with me. I'm going to probably take a little different focus than you're used to here as we just focus on the first verse and the last two verses. And I want to kind of just one more thing before I read it. Hebrew poetry, which the psalms are, are different than our poetry. It's not not by rhyme or rhythm. Um, They use a lot of parallelism. And so a lot of times in a verse, the first verse is parallel, how it relates to the second verse. And there's several different kinds of parallels, and we won't go into that. But one type of Hebrew poetry kind of has these bookends. When you see a Hebrew poetry where the first verse and the last verse match, that's a form of Hebrew poetry. And so in verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. And then verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Very similar but we see some differences. And so we focus on those differences for this type of poetry. It's what the poet is trying to po- point out. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. when, as yet, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against uh, you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. So we look at this psalm, it's broken up into some parts. In the first six verses, it's really focusing on how God knows us, his omniscience. And then he talks about um, uh, God is where I am, that he is is omnipresent. Um, And then in verses uh, 13 through 18, it's talking about his power. God has the power, He's, he's omnipotent. And then verses 19 through 22 don't seem to fit in with the rest of it. All of a sudden, he kind of goes off here on this tangent about the wicked. And what we're reminded of is that God is holy and he desires holiness in us. And that recognition causes David to move to a point of prayer where he recognizes God does not want Evil, and so he wants to see that God search that out in him. Search, my, search me, O God, and know my heart and try me. And so we said as a definition that it, prayer is personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. And because David recognizes that God hates evil and he knows who he is, he asks God to search him. So I said we break this up into three parts. First, some affirmation from the psalm. This is a great psalm. We're not gonna go by, through it verse by verse, but let's be reminded of a few things. God uh, is, so, has sovereignty over our lives. Uh, as we look at, at what David is saying about this, God made who we are in verse 13. And let me just stop here for a second and just, just remind you, God created you. God created your body. God gave you strength. God gives you different ways of looking at things. Your minds are different. Your bodies are different. Your hearts are different. God made you. God made you. And God made us wonderfully. God made us wonderfully. God knew who you would be. God knew where you would go. And just so we're clear here, God molds living beings in the womb. God intimately wove us together in the womb. So we break this into these biblical words. Uh, God is omniscient. Uh, uh, and it, it, this omniscience is, is that God, is, God sees and knows Everything. Big biblical word. What does it mean? God sees and knows everything. Ooh. Just take that in for a minute. God sees and knows everything. Now, he knows our thoughts, it says in verse 2. Man, some of us can't even manage our own thoughts. They're just kind of going all over the place. Squirrel! God knows our thoughts. Verse three, God knows our ways. Verse four, God knows our words before we say them. Now listen, God sees and knows everything, but God's knowledge is not a threat, it's a refuge. David says in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He doesn't see it as a threat. He just, wow, it's high. I can't attain it. Next on your notes is is God is, uh, is, is everywhere present all the time. So God is everywhere present at the same time. God is no less here. Then he is with Hannah in Taiwan. God is everywhere present at the same time. Now, just so you know, that's not true of all spiritual be- beings. Satan is in one place at one point in time. Only God is everywhere present all the time. Okay? Santa Claus doesn't exist. He is not everywhere present all the time. Only God. And so the, the psalmist uses these, Uh, metaphors to kind of describe that. He says, where shall I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, if I go up, you are there. If I go down to Sheol, hell, you are there. Up or down, you are there. And then in, in a sense, this east or west, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if, I, if I'm here or out there, east or west, you are there. From a Hebrew perspective, remember they're shepherds and, and the sea often represents in the old time, kind of the, in the Old Testament, that just kind of the abyss, evil, kind of going out. Across, even if I go out there and he goes on and says, and if I'm in darkness, It's not dark to you. I would argue that some people uh, over the years have tried to hide from God in darkness. If I just get so into evil and to sin and to darkness, God won't see me. But he does. Wherever you are, God sees and knows and he is present. Now, this knowledge of God's presence again, it's not a threat, it's a comfort. Wherever you are, you have not gotten too far away from God. I would say that over the years, number 1 question I have been asked as a pastor. Now, this sounds, you know, people know very little bit about the Bible. But they will come into my office, off the streets, from church, outside, just other people come in and say, I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. Well, what is the unforgivable sin? I don't know. (laughs) But I'm sure I've committed it. There's just this idea that we have reached a point where God no longer cares or loves us. And that is not true. God is with you. Now, the last one is that God is omnipotent, that, he has, that he is, uh, God is all-powerful and the creator of all. Uh, there's definitely a focus here on God's power, and David emphasizes his power in the fact that he has the power to create. Something from nothing. That he creates our lives. He focuses it on a very personal way. God forms us and makes us. And again, this power isn't a threat. In fact, I believe what it does is give us purpose. Let me just read a a few other words uh, to you this morning from the New Testament. Again, words that you're familiar with in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that you may boast. For we are, listen to this, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created you to be who you are, God has gifted you and strengthened you and filled you. And he's put little things out there for you to do that you might just walk right into him. That is power. That's knowledge. And so then the author, uh, David, veers off for a minute with these words, oh, that you would slay the wicked. Amen? Be careful, we're wicked. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Now, I know that we always say, uh, you know, love uh, the sinner, hate the sin. But one of the problems that we have is that we often begin to love the sin. We are dragged into it. And so, David is reminding us. Yes, we absolutely need to love people, but we need to keep our distance from sin that we might start accepting it as normal. I love the uh, theological discussions we get into in class. Sometimes I don't get to have those in pastor and preaching relationships. And so we were uh, reading through, uh, we're reading through uh, Matthew. I can't remember what brought the question up. Um, we were talking about Jesus as fully man and fully God. And I said, how does that make you feel to the class? I said, how how does that, knowing that he was fully human? And one student says, well, I just, it's hard for me to understand because he just never really sinned. And I said, hold on a second, be careful what you're saying. Because you and I begin to think that we are more human when we sin. That that's just a part of being human. We were never more fully human than before Adam and Eve sinned. You're not more human because you sin. You were created We are created in the image of God. We were everything we were supposed to be before sin came. And I think that we sometimes think that we just need to kind of relate to the world a little bit better. And I'm telling you, sorry, growing up in Baptist churches didn't help any because people gave their testimonies and I did this and I did this and I was drugs and sex and rock and roll but now now I love Jesus and I have a ministry. It's like, oh, well, if I want to have a ministry, I better try some drug, sex, and rock and roll, apparently. right? That's not the point. So this idea of God's holiness moves David to what I'm calling a dangerous prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, or the word could be cares, and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We look at the past. We look at the future. What do we need to do right now? We need to make some changes in our lives. And that starts with some attention to the heart. And scripture tells us that the heart can be deceiving. And so here's five things here. And I'm using some words from the world, but I'm going to change them into spiritual words. This idea here of search me, we might call that today self-examination. But self-examination starts with God's examination. Self-examination starts with God's examination. He says, search me. Look, I'm calling this a dangerous prayer, but If you pray, God, search me, he's not going to discover anything he doesn't already know. The psalmist has made that clear. The process of praying, God, search me, is laying ourselves bare to what God already knows. This process in the Christian life, I believe, is an ongoing process. He starts in verse 1 with search me, and he ends with search me. It's ongoing. It's not something you just do as a young person. It's not just something you do in middle age. Not something you just do as an older person. It's something that we need to continually do if we're going to grow closer to God. God, search me. Search me. Examine my life. Now, I would say that this self-examination is impossible without God because we are sinful. The Bible talks about the sins of, of not, that we didn't even know about. Psalm uh, 19, we're not going to go there. I was interested in, in looking at that verse that we're, we're familiar with in 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from, and then the the Bible says, all unrighteousness. In other words, sometimes we confess and we don't confess everything we probably should confess, but God still cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The reality is, we've been pretty good at fooling ourselves, we become pretty good at ignoring confrontation of the Holy Spirit. We've been pretty good with being okay with where we're at. And saying, well, I've come a long ways. I always love the, the story where they bring the adulterous woman to Jesus, and uh, Jesus says, okay, whoever's without sin casts the first stone. And it says they left oldest from youngest. The young people are kind of like, all right, let's go. The older people are going, I've, <laughs> I've examined my life a little bit. We need to be true to our own sin and shortcomings and failures and allow God to examine those things. Now, I want to say this just real quick before we go to the next point. I know when I preach, you, you listen. I should have done this at the beginning. I meant to do this. You listen to this in one of three ways. Um, you think to yourself, what a jerk. If anybody needs this sermon, it's him. And let me just tell you, I get more out of the sermons than you do because I've prepared them. I don't share everything that I'm working through and I don't share every sin that I confessed as I'm preparing this. I, yes, this sin this, this sin, this sermon is for me. Some of you listen to the sermons and you go, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here. Man, I wish my kids were here. I sure wish, you know, I hope, you know, you're kind of looking across the aisle. Man, I hope that person's listening. Okay, or wives, you're doing one of these, right? Okay, that's the... That's the ultimate. So let me just be very clear who I'm speaking to this morning, speaking to you individually. That each one of us needs to examine ourself. Now, second, again, stealing a word from uh, our the world that we live in, uh, the Bible doesn't use this word, but self-actualization. The realization or fulfillment of one's talents and potentials, especially considered as a drive or need present in everyone. Self actualization is discovering who God created you to be. He says, Search me and know my heart. Listen. The psalmist goes through all this of recognizing where God is, God's power, but one of the biggest emphasis of this psalm is that David realizes that God molded him and shaped him to be the person that he was supposed to be. God created you different. He put you in different places, gave you different opportunities. He created you individually. And he knows our heart. Don't try to get God to align to your plan. Align your plan with his. Man, I just read those verses in Ephesians. Good works that you might walk in them. Don't say, hey God, my good works are over here. God, I want to I do this. It says, I created you to do this. If God is all-knowing, and Scripture says that he is, then seek his wisdom. If God is everywhere present, and, and Scripture says that he is, then you are not alone. If God is all-powerful and Scripture says that he is, there is nothing in his will you cannot accomplish. So part of asking God to search me and to know my heart is that God would work in me to become the person that he has created me to be. Now, I don't know if you ever fall into this sin. But sometimes I look at other people and say, oh, man, I wish I had their gifts. Man, I wish I had their talents. I wish I had their blessings. I wish I had their body. I wish I had their platform." I have sinned in that way and I think many of us have from time to time and when I do that what I am saying and what you are saying is God, I am not happy with who you created me to be. God, I am not happy with what you have given me and we are right back at the tree saying no, I want to define what is good. I don't want you to define what is good. That doesn't mean that we don't grow. It doesn't mean that we don't you know, go to the gym or it doesn't mean that we don't invest in the future. What it means is that we recognize that God is sovereign and he has created us wonderfully. The next word that I've stolen is self-discipline. The psalmist goes on, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Try me. Test me. Self discipline is using the trials of life as a means to an end, and that end is to grow in holiness. I say here all the time you are in one of three places. You are in a trial, you are headed into a trial, or you are coming out of a trial. And we use those trials not as a means of going, woe is me, but as a means of going, God, what is it you want me to learn about your person and about who you've created me to be? We grow. A test proves steadfastness. Um, In uh, James chapter 1, it says this Count it all joy. Oh, man, I hate this verse. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds, I think most of us struggle with that. He says, for you know, this is what you know about God, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, that you are going to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ through trials. Next, we grow in maturity. Next slide. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, the whole process makes us grow into maturity. That's why we go through trials. Next, purification. In Psalms it says, "For you, O Lord, have tested us; you have tried us as silver is tried." And so, talking about at the beginning this parallelism, the first line, "You have tested us," that's literal. The second one is figurative: "You have tried us as silver is tried." It's a the reason why you try silver. The reason why you do that is to purify it. So, what the psalmist is saying is that the testing process is a purification process. It gets stuff out of your life that shouldn't be there. It is really popular today to do all sorts of different fasts to get the bad chemicals out of your body. And God says, I had a process from that from day one. It's called a test. And it gets the bad way of looking at life out of you, and it grows you. It also prepares us for something bigger. It prepares us for something bigger. There's a process of going through little tests that God might prepare you for something bigger. Ultimately, that is heaven, but even in ministry and things, bigger things. Another stolen word, self-renunciation, is repenting of the sin in our life. The world uses it in the formal rejection of something, typically a belief, claim, or course of action. But the author says, try me and know my thoughts or my cares, which I think is an interesting thought there, but we won't go into that, and see, do this search, do this trials, so that you would see if there's any grievous way in me. Here's the point of this dangerous prayer. When you come to God and you say, search me and know me and try me, you recognize that that may mean that God is gonna point some things out to you that you need to repent of, that you need to change. And if you don't wanna repent, and if you don't wanna change, then you might wanna avoid this prayer. Search me and know me. Try me. See if there's any grievous way in me. This idea here is that sin should grieve you. When confronted with sin in my life, it should grieve me. When God points out sin in your life, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, it should grieve you. Now, oftentimes, what response God gets is what we like to do is self-justification. Yeah, but, not as bad as that person. Well, yeah, but I had to do that because of this. Or my favorite is when people reverse Psalm 139 and say, well, it's just the way God made me. No. Sin should grieve us. Second, sin shouldn't surprise you. If you go to God and say, search me and know me and try me and see if there's any grievous way in me, and then God points something out, you shouldn't be surprised by that. Because you're a sinner. Because you sin. Because we live in an upside-down world. And then sin should be repented of. Now, we confess our sin to God, and he is faithful and just. That is, I acknowledge, I say my sin, but repentance means not only do I say, God, forgive me, but then I turn from that sin. Now, unfortunately, as the Proverbs says, we kind of tend to return to some of those sins, and the Proverbs has a really great picture of that, like a dog returns to its vomit. Okay, okay. I have dogs, and you hear them. It's like, oh no, you're running over there. Like, don't do that. But we're just like that. Keep returning to the same sins, same actions. So what do we do? God, search me. God, know me. God, is there any grievous way in me? Then I need to repent of it again. But the gospel is that you have sinned, And you've fallen short of the glory of God. That there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. But God created you in his image and he wants to restore you to that image. He wants to save you and he does that through the person and work of Jesus Christ so that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And that process of coming to be a follower of Jesus means constantly going back to the cross, confessing sin, repenting, and acknowledging our need for Jesus Christ. See if there's any grievous way in me. And then the psalmist ends with these words, and lead me in the way everlasting. Self-dedication is focusing our direction in the right way. What way should we be focused on? What is the everlasting way? I've said this before, but if you look at the first two chapters of the Bible, everything's the way it should be. If you go to the last two chapters of the Bible, everything's the way it should be. Everything in between is upside down. And so when we look at the last couple chapters of Revelation and we look at what it's described there we see this amazing picture of us living in the presence of God it's this this point of absolute perfect community with God of being known by him intimately and us knowing him it involves community, God's people in God's place It involves a newness, a new heaven, and a new earth. Today, today it involves obedience. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. It means heading in the everlasting way. As part of my prayer time, I love to just walk through the Lord's Prayer Hallowed be your name. God, I I pray that my life would honor you in some way. God, I pray that you would help me to learn how to acknowledge you more and lift you up. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God, I pray that your kingdom would come into the way that I think, the way that our church acts. God, I pray that you would be present among us. I pray that I would live with kingdom principles, obedience, That's what it means. God, I pray that your will would be done. My life, the life of our church. God, I pray for your provisions. I pray for pardon. And then God, I I pray for that protection, that that the things that I want that are not a part of your direction, you you would keep me from them and lead me in the everlasting way. Some actions that we can engage in. I have four words here, ask. Don't be afraid to pray this week. God, search me. Now that ask, I would say, happens in a few different ways. First of all, it happens with God. God, I ask that you would search me. I want to open up to this process. And then I would think, I would hope, that there are some people in your inner circle, people that know you well. And I would go to them, and I would say, do you see anything in my life that needs to change? I'm not going to, you know, wives, you got to be careful. you got to give us some caveats here. If you do this, um, you got to say, I, you're not in trouble. I really want to hear the answer to this, and you need to listen. Okay? Because, you know, when wives come and say, is there anything you want us to do? I say, mm, no. My answer is no. Everything's good. Everyone's happy here. Right? So people in your inner circle. And then even listen to people in sometimes the outer circles. It's amazing how God will speak through other people sometimes when you're praying, search me. And somebody comes and says something, you go, oh, oh." let's listen to it. Let's take a moment. So first ask. Second, Uh, On your notes there, listen. Listen. One of the hardest parts of prayer for me is to sometimes just be quiet before God. Man, my mind goes so many different ways. So two things I've learned to do, um, and I'm working on this area of my life. One is sometimes I'll just put some quiet worship music on that helps me stay a little bit more focused. Second, and I've read a few people recently who have repeated this idea, that sometimes when my mind wanders, maybe I need to follow it. That's scary. And pray for what God is leading me to pray for. So take time to listen. Um, If you ask other people, if you're opening up to that, then don't argue. Ask some clarifying questions. Third, engage. Engage with scripture. Uh, the reason why we continue to read through scripture is because as I'm asking God to search me, then I'm comparing it with things that I am reading in scripture. I'm engaging with that part of life to change me. I'm engaging with people. It's funny the little things that you just kind of, when you're really engaged. I, I'm, I'm praying for, for certain things and... Um, you know you're waiting for god to to bring answers and i know i need some more connectedness in my life and we were at this conference and had a little dinner afterwards for for pastors and we were hanging out and uh, so i'm engaging you know i'm not not a great uh, networker but i'm engaging and i'm talking with his other pastor and he says he says to me he goes well what are you and your wife's interests i don't know if i had a just a brain fog moment or what but i'm like uh well, what do you guys like to do? Uh. I got in the car and I said, hey, honey, I think I figured out why we don't have any friends. (laughs) We don't like to do anything. (laughs) Right? I mean, at some point, like you gotta, if you're asking God to change you, you gotta listen to things. And I like to make some humor out of it, but, right? We're trying to make prayer more complex than it is. Um, this week, and I I hope I'm okay sharing this, um, came into my office, I believe it was, I think it was Wednesday, and I was, man, I was just one of those mornings, great conversation with God, I was feeling good. I'm like, and I was, actually, man, Lord, I'm feeling really good. And then I got a text message from my wife who was not feeling very good. And it just, oh. And I stopped and I was praying for my wife. I actually brought Rich into my office and I asked him for prayer. And then later, I'm, I'm trying to get back into studying and Lori knocks on the door and Lori's little dog had gotten out and she is out looking for her little dog. And, and I, I'm very close with my big dog and I understand the feeling, so I'm praying for Lori. I'm praying that she finds her dog. And then Rich and I went out and looked for, that's, looked for the little dog. That's like in other things, you know, in the job description. They found the dog. And then I, I had a, a second kind of elder meeting with the new board, and I'm praying for that, and I stayed through it. And, I, and I, I started it that day. I started at uh, 8.30 in the morning. I didn't leave the church till 8.30 at night. And I got home, and I was tired, and I hadn't talked to my wife yet about the things that happened to her in the morning. And so I'm coming in the house, and my wife turns to me and says, Owen, oh, my grandson is in the ER. And so I just, I stopped for a moment, obviously prayed for my grandson. He has pneumonia and a respiratory virus. He is, he is on the mens. But I just stopped for a minute and thought about what I had prayed for in the, in the scheme of that day. And you know what? They're all important. They're just different. And so I don't think I prayed without ceasing, but I prayed more on Wednesday than I prayed in a while. I certainly prayed until I fell asleep because I kept praying for my grandson. Man, I, but it's so much easier to pray for other people than it is for me to pray, God, search me and know me and help me make the changes. That's a dangerous prayer. Here's the application. Oh, one more slide here, I'm sorry. The last one is respond. Did I not say that? Respond, make changes. Maybe that includes fasting. Maybe that includes uh, seeking to grow, but respond, somehow respond to God. Um, In our relational elder training, we have this uh, um, visual here of the verse, all scripture is profitable for teaching, uh, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and every good work. And it's just a great thought process of the search me and know me. We recognize that as we uh, go through scripture, as we pray for God to Search us and know us that the teaching should lead to reproof. And the reproof should re- lead to correction, repentance, going a different direction. Notice the circle is ta- changing, training in righteousness so that we're prepared for every good work. It's just a good visual illustration of what it means to be searched and known by God. Here's our application this morning start with just some basic prayer and reflection. Um, pray this prayer. Open yourselves up to what God may want to reveal. God, search me. And listen. Be prepared. Move to prayer uh, and small group vulnerability. Now, here's where we move out of that circle a little bit and include other people in that process of searching us and knowing us. And then again, be open to God speaking in other avenues, other places where God is going to kind of speak over here, and you go, I wasn't looking for God over there. Let me listen to that. Um, So God, search me and know me. Try me. Know my thoughts, my cares, and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and our ushers can get ready to uh, receive the offering. God, I pray for boldness for our church, for our family, that we might be open completely to what you have to say about us. That we would be vulnerable before you knowing that you are good. That you have created us in a wonderful way. That you know us intimately. And that even the trials that you bring into our life are for a good reason. That every financial struggle, every ache and pain, every relational break is not because other people are jerks or because our bodies are breaking down. But it might just be because you love us so much that you want us to see you in a new way. That you want us to experience reconciliation. That you want us to experience kingdom life today that we might know your presence. And Lord, I I know that there are people that feel far from you. And you go, man, I I want that. I, I want to hear from God, but I don't seem to ever hear. May we open your word and say, God, speak to me. Show me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Whether that way is one year or 50 years, God, may we follow you closely. That as we take this time in our service to give back to you, we do it with a joyful heart. As we close in a song, we recognize this isn't a close, but it's a, it is a proclamation that we are heading out to apply your word and to live in your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.